can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work, determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. thinks a punch in the throat is worth two in the bush. <laughs> Woo! Show number nine, recorded May 20th, nice. 2012, starts now. Oh, that's a hell of a yeah, start, that's man. That's good stuff, man. Yeah, I almost ran out of wind. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you got Woo! punched in the throat. Yeah, or twice in the bush. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's a different show. All right, we got a jam-packed show coming up for you today, including a discussion on what sparring is and isn't, uh, an interview with Mr. John Wang, a Shui Jiao and Long Fist Master, news, and a classic media mop-up. Uh, also, I have my usual co-host, Craig Kiesling, here today. Hiya, folks. And Magnificent Jay. As always. Scratching and mixing back there. That's what I do, man. Mm-hmm. Waxing and milking. I wax and milk. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm rhyming and screaming, stealing uh, over here. <laughs> screaming. <laughs> <laughs> Bobcat Goldthwait yeah. <laughs> uh, rap album of rhyming and screaming. I like uh, it when you scream. Uh, <gasps> I'm apparently on form today, Jerry too. Clower, so. Jerry Clower. Yeah. Ha. I wish I was a pair of rugged claws scuttling across the floors of silent seas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's Jay Arthur Prufrock, uh, a la Jerry Clower. <clears throat> little bonus for everybody. There you go. Okay. And there you have it. Nothing well, to grow on. We don't have a lot of, lot of pre-show stuff to get into today. Does anybody have anything they'd like to mention before we get to the meat uh, of the matter? Yeah, not especially. I mean, no. uh, you know. We're on we're, Zoom now. We're on a few different new podcast uh, directories. Cropping up like weeds. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. It's happening. It's happening. We're getting more and more feedback from you guys. And we Which really like awesome. it. We'd love for you to make it public instead of just sending it privately to us. Like know. a review on iTunes. There's an <laughs> hey! idea. <laughs> All right, you know, I think the trick here is to stop asking. And we're going to use a little reverse psychology. All right, folks, are you don't, listening? Yeah. Whatever you do. Whatever you do, don't touch that candy-colored button on iTunes and write <laughs> us a review because... You know, it could uh, collapse the space-time continuum. I'm you know thinking. what? We don't even want a review <laughs> on iTunes. We no, changed our mind, dude. No. What do we care what We're people think? That. Done with it. We do this for ourselves anyway. We're off to the races. Yes, this is <laughs> <laughs> this is an autoerotic podcast. <laughs> but thanks for joining us. Uh, okay. Well, you know what? If that's all we've got to start the show out, Let's we're gonna we're gonna do a little segue here and jump right into our discussion topic. Okay, folks, we're back, and uh, first up tonight, we've got a discussion topic, as always, and uh, this one's uh, getting a little weirder for us. Not weird, but uh, maybe a little more technical, but we're going to try not to get too deep into the technical aspects and just uh, get at the meat of the matter. Um, <laughs> and what, what we want to do is attack a single element from uh, martial arts training 
from the light of uh, of the cognitive realities of learning something, especially motor skills. I ain't got no motors, man. <laughs> you ain't got no skills either. <laughs> uh, so we're going to take a look at sparring. Um, sparring. Do you spar, Dave? I, I Well, I've never sparred Dave. Well, oh, no, I take that back. It. I've probably hurt myself more often than anyone else has. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. I do, I do a variety of... Uh, well, first, let's define sparring for this purpose yeah. because I have what might be a somewhat controversial definition personally of sparring and uh it goes something like this from the very beginning when you cross hands with another person in class even if you're moving at a snail's pace and doing something exactly specific as a response to a very specific thing you know like very, a two-step type yeah thing. yeah very very simple as if there's another person involved you're sparring and that spectrum that's the bottom of the spectrum and it runs all the way up to the top of the spectrum which is sporting martial arts where you get in the ring and you really go after the guy and you, you fight to win a match. Mm-hmm. That's still sparring in my book. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm being a little bit pedantic here. Of course, you could call it fighting uh, yeah. because, you know, it's, it's far, the fighting far over less. the same thing. Right. That title. Yeah. But uh, it's not fighting in the sense where it's, it's uh, unregulated Defending violence. your life against Right. Death, <clears throat> right, your life, your property, your family, whatever, uh, in, a, in a situation where the other person's goal is to hurt you or to take something from you, not just to win a competition. Right. So all bets are off in that circumstance. And for instance, uh, we had uh, Aaron Fields on, and he we talked a little bit with him about uh, f- sparring and fighting, and, and he made the point that you know firefighting brought a lot more to his martial arts than the other way around. Mm-hmm. Because that's, you know, he didn't come out and say it this way, but that's actual fighting. Mm-hmm. Even though it's not another person, it's, right. it's something that has no compunction about maiming or killing you. Mm-hmm. And you have to defeat it or it could defeat you. Whereas he was very clear about particularly the Sambo being sport. Right. He was very clear about the distinction. Right. Well, he also did mention that there's, I think he said, three different quote unquote sub styles. And one is more more fighting oriented than the others the combat sambo yeah right yeah. right but really all that does is allow a lot more stuff in the ring it trends it closer changes to the, the MMA. rule set it changes yeah. the rule set but it's it's still for the purpose of my definition for this discussion it's still sparring i'd have to agree with you you know and i agree <laughs> with your initial statement that it's very controversial i've been down that internet road many times. Oh, I told you so not to go on the internet, Craig. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's dangerous out there. But, you know, and, and I get com- uh, accused of it just being down to a semantic battle. But it, to me, I'm like that you keep talking about fighting. Do you fight in class and stuff like that? You know, yada, yada, yada. And it, it, ridiculous. No, no. And a lot of the aspects in true fighting, uh, unfortunately... <laughs> Right. Comes from, you know, experience, relaxation, wisdom, you know, of life and, and having been in those circumstances in the past. Yeah, nothing. Not there's no substitute teach. for real experience. Mm-hmm. That being said, though, you know, sparring, especially on the top end of the spectrum, does go a long way to prepare you for certain oh, yeah. elements. So it's we're not saying it's a bad thing or a wimpy thing not or anything all. like that at all. So don't think you got to have it. Yeah. I think in, a lot of schools don't, especially in some of the more... I'd hate to say it, but some of the more traditional arts that are more form-based, 
um, you know, you start to see sparring, you know, in different levels fade out in some schools. Yeah. And I think you need it. Well, absolutely. I mean, how exactly do you translate the forms into exactly. a fighting situation well, if there's that's, not that? Yeah, that's, that's kind of what we're getting to with this discussion because um, – Basically, the way you're you're taught to fight, you can't. I mean, I'm I'm against schools that get that eight year old kid in there the first time and put him in again, wrap a white belt around him or whatever, and get him and push him into it. Put you know, put pads on him and have him start sparring because you haven't taught him anything yet. You know, he's just going to be what kickboxing, he, flailing. What could he possibly be reinforcing except for his base animal instincts? You know. Right. Well, there you go. Then. Yeah, right. <laughs> but if that's all you need, you don't need a school for that. Just start picking fights on the playground. Exactly. Um. So, um, sparring, you know, it's a spectrum from very controlled single movement apps, uh, predetermined uh, instigation or response to technique. You increase speed, complexity, resistance, all the way up to free, free play within rules. And the funny thing about this is that it mirrors the phases of learning in all complex physical activity. Oh, yeah, of course. So, uh, what a good martial arts school should do is something along the lines of what a good, let's say, guitar teacher should do. Right. Music is always a simple fallback to this kind of analogy. But they've got to start you out at stage one, where you basically learn the, the fundamentals. You know, it's basic punches and kicks or whatever in martial arts. In music, it's it's how to it's developing the strength to scales. fret a note. Yeah. It's not even scales yet. You know, it's oh, okay. very simple, almost single task um, uh, things. Like I remember the first time I was uh, taught bar chords and, and guitar lessons. And my fingers simply weren't strong enough to bar oh, all six yeah, strings. Yeah. I just couldn't do it. I could make the shape, but I didn't have the strength to pull it off. So you'd have dead strings going on. And right. Whatnot. So, you know, but three or four weeks later, if you practice, boom, you're making a bar chord. Yeah. And then you've got your basic elements. So, um, so initially, I think the main thing to emph- emphasize is that uh, it's pretty generally accepted that at the beginning, slow and precise movement is the most important thing. So you don't say, okay, do this and wave your hands around in a flash and try to have your student mimic that sort of speed and intensity. <laughs> I do. Well. <laughs> That's because you go to that, a different that, school, that, my that friend. That could explain why yeah. I have zero students. You have no students, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think about that, Craig? Is that how it works with you? Um, oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of people ask, why, you know, how come I don't see you guys sparring and stuff like that? Well, one, you wouldn't be allowed to you know the public doesn't really get to hang out and see that because when the losers always a little bit embarrassed and don't like people watching the other thing that's hugely important is most of the time when you just put people in the ring and say go they throw everything they've learned out the window and they don't realize it they need control power speed timing sensitivity i mean all kinds of junk right so basically what you're trying to ingrain are the basic templates oh yeah and to do that, it takes a lot of repetition. And the key, the thing about doing it slowly is this. Uh, if you, like, we'll go back to the guitar scales. Okay, mm-hmm. if you're practicing guitar scales and uh, you immediately start trying to speed them up as soon as you think you've got it, <laughs> it's then, lucky. then you make a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, if you practice it 10 times, but you're going too fast and you only get it right four out of 10 times, then later on, when you go to actually use that scale towards some genuinely musical purpose, you've got a six in ten chance of pulling the blown mm-hmm. one out of your. <laughs> well, good speed. I think, at least from our perspective, good speed 
doesn't come from practicing speed ever, ever. We never practice speed. It comes from the opposite, practicing extreme slowness. When you do that, slowness, you, relaxation. Yeah, you, you start to see the tiny, tiny, tons and tons of little movements and, and feelings of just one little movement, whether it's a block and a punch or what have you. Right. You know, it becomes much more than just a block and punch. Right, you right. can't do that when you're cruising to the end finishing line. It becomes more about the nuances at mm-hmm. that point, right? Right. And uh, the other thing about it is uh, if you it, – it, this crosses in to sparring at the point when you put another person in to receive that application or to instigate that application. And I think that should be done very early on too. Oh, yeah. I don't think there's any point in having people shadow box until their technique is perfect because – that technique is designed to achieve something on another person. Exactly. So the sooner, once you get the basic idea of what you should be doing, the the sooner you get another body on board, uh, then the better off you are because you're constantly getting feedback. And uh, I think that's that's, and I think it's appropriate to call that sparring. Yeah, yeah. Even though nothing's left to chance. Right. You're getting the well, feedback from the other it, person. You know, as a teacher, you know everything still is left to chance because. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're just punching to the face with the right hand, dude. Bam! You know, left <laughs> oh, hand, low body shot. The other right shot. hand. I yeah. got it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Line drills. That's all I've got and to say on that. Because <laughs> when you're doing that kind of stuff, you're you're definitely practicing for the prime situation. The the you know. <laughs> Where everything goes right. In a real situation, almost nothing goes right. Nothing goes the way you planned it. You can't plan every step out. But what you can do is start to learn principles and see reactions. This is one of the things I always point out is when you're doing an application, regardless of what the movement you know is, is to see how their body responds. Does it make them lean back into the right you know, take note of that. See how their left foot is kicked forward. You know, bingo. They're, they're already you're seeing a geometric line. So the next time you see that line, even if you're doing something completely different and it's sped right up, you know how to break it. Yeah. Well, the idea is over time to get to where all of this happens subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Because if you're having to think about it, it won't work in reality. Exactly. But that's, that's why, why we why try to boil it down it to down. principles yeah. and all and, that. Yeah. yeah. So people have the chance to think about it. And you can think about what you train, but you can't think while you fight. Right. And that's why you start early, too, I would say. Like, even um, I teach percussion periodically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, you better believe every time I get the opportunity with a, with a new student to sort of put him in a situation where he's playing in a group yeah. of some sort, right? It doesn't really matter what it is. It's harder to develop a sense of timing that you can relate to other people until you start relating that sense of timing to other people exactly and that can be accomplished at the early stages with this very slow very sort of formalized two-person training yep so you know if we move along uh in the second stage student starts to use components that they've learned in a more free fashion against heavier pressure or resistance now this is where you're getting more into like you've you've learned your scales and now you're starting to like block out a chord progression that you can play over and noodle around with, but you're still not completely improvising, right? Mm-hmm. You're not freeforming, you're not freestyling, but, uh, I mean, uh, it reminds me of back in the day when we'd work out in the parking lot with, uh, with uh, Pittman's crew, and we had some pretty advanced guys cooking along there for a little while, and occasionally we would have trouble because people would be parking on the other end of the parking lot or something, 
and see what we were doing and think people were actually fighting. Right. Because we would <laughs> we would ramp our applications practice up to, you know, we'd turn it up to 11. Yeah. And, Turn up the juice a little bit. Yeah. So that not only gets you, you know, reinforcing and then it, and, but as you're comfortable at and higher you, and higher rates of speed, you're actually getting uh, inoculated a little bit to the pain and confusion and, and yes. so forth of actually and So fighting. your opponent, like if you're doing the app, your opponent's going to be a little bit more resisting. He's not going to say... Here comes this slow right punch to your head. Right. Hang there, hang there. You know? Well, uh, one, one good way to transition is take that application or drill that you practiced with your willing partner, and then once it's obvious, both of you have got it, and you can pass it back and forth, then you say, okay, uh, you know, the attacker who's not doing the technique, uh, attack any way you want. Yeah. But you, you use the same technique. You just vary it to meet that attack. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you, would you consider this to be this this drill to be part of this same phase or, or the next phase? I'm curious. But something you remember that I it, I frequently do when I'm teaching engagement, so to speak, is basically pick three movements, each of you. Don't show them. Don't tell them each other. You know, pick a card, any card. Okay, one's attacking or offense and one's defense. Use only those three movements, you know? Yeah. Would you I think it's getting towards same? the more complex side of this level. But, right. yeah, I think it's in the same – that Ball same part. stage of learning. Because um, it's cause, that adaptation and change yeah. that's tricky. Because this is basically where the motor programming that you need to do to have the technique in the first place is already more or less done uh, and stored away in your long-term memory. But uh, you, at that point, you start having a little bit of spare attention to focus on uh, you know, what's going on with... Uh, Around you, the environment. Right. Right, it's the difference between the first stage effectively being fundamentals, right, and the but second you, yeah. and the second stage effectively being rudimentals. Right. So you made it more complex, but you still, you know, you've got you got very little extra room for mental. thought there. You have you still have to think about it. In other words, yeah, yeah. And often you'll need to calibrate the speed to suit that thought process. So you know, again, you won't get up to that blinding fast. Looks like real fighting. You hear the sound of smacking skin until you're getting towards the end of this, where people have hammered it into the point where it's second nature. Right. Um, you know, there's nothing I like better than the sound of skin slapping on skin, <laughs> and it might be very focused. Is it like this? Oh dear God! Put it back, please. Oh. <laughs> but the, the, you drive me to be crude. The other aspect too is like um, almost a callback to when we were talking about gong and technique, you know, establishment and whatnot, is the idea that if you have only been working on two or three techniques, let's say, and you finally, you know, it doesn't matter. Dudes come fast, slow, high, low, from right, you know, left, whatever. Um, you can always pull that block off or always sidestep and, and make a jab, you know, to whatever. But, you know, you always suck at his perhaps uppercuts, you know, you just can't seem to make your techniques work to that. So you're still, there's still a very scholastic element to that. Right. And you still need active coaching at this level too. Somebody standing, somebody standing outside and watching what you're doing and calling you on your mistakes, Mm -hmm. uh, giving you hints on what you could do different. It's not, it's not as intense as, as the first stage where you basically have to you know, hold that posture. Now, let me correct this. Are you feeling this? You need to put your crown. You know, you're trying yeah. to correct all these little physical details. They've got that, but what they don't have yet is the fluency. Yes. Yeah. To transition from one movement to the next. And also, it's not hammered in quite well enough yet that you can let the fighting to, or the sparring take care of itself 
while you have some of your conscious mind left over for mm-hmm. strategizing. Yeah. Yeah. And big and big strategy versus small strategy. Oh, I see that quick door open. You know, I'm going to go after that door, that right. opening versus in reality, I'm going to try and lay him down on the ground so I can get out of here. Right. You know? This is also the phase where people start to get the idea of, uh, of tactics and, and initiation. There you go. Like yeah. if I want him to do this, I should do this. Mm-hmm. Because if I put my hand here, he's almost guaranteed to put his hand up to protect his face. And if right. I do it right, I'll get to grab the hand that I wanted to grab. Yeah, that's not a very Galbagwa thing at all. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I just made that part up. Little uh, Jedi mind trick action on him there. <laughs> yep. Let me ask you this. Let me throw this in there. Um, how would protective gear... Now, I know we all have our own views on this, but let's say from a more generic standpoint, if you could... Uh, how would protective gear come into play, and if so, at what stage, or all the time, or slowly take it off, slowly put it on? You know what? Well, through the phases. Um, I personally, partially because I can sort of pick and choose students and and whatever, but I I don't think protective gear is necessary most of the time in the first two stages. Because the movement is controlled enough, uh, and you know, you try to match people up that can handle each other, and uh, you know, it's 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 sort of laid out in front that you're not trying to actually get the person; you're trying to practice getting people with this. Right, right. So you know, you might now for specialized things like if if you want to practice shin kicks and up the reality a little bit without <laughs> going to full sparring, you can you can put By shin pads on the Uh-oh. other. You can put shin pads on the other guy. You know, yeah. <clears throat> like, I would think up to a certain point, though, protective gear might be the kind of thing that could potentially get in the way. Like, yes, it, it might. Some of the some of the the slowing down and uh, you know and the the learning of the the sensitivity and the finesse might actually get a bit pitched out the window if there's that kind of psychological layer of protection between the two. Right. And also, it gives you something to shoot for. If the guy's got a big red balloon on his head to protect him, you're like, I can go ahead and amp this up a little bit. Pow! You know, that's where the hook punches come yeah. in lovely, because they can only see in that little rectangle window. Exactly. <laughs> There's a lot of things. You know, you put, depending on what kind of hand protection you use, it can, it can eliminate parts yeah. of the style. You know, like Eagle Claw, Mantis, yeah, like, I mean, anything with funky hand work. The Bogwai do is heavily stand up grappling oriented. So if you take the ability to grab out of it, you're not really doing Bogwai anymore. Yeah. Um, now, Depends if you on wanna, the glove, you yeah. get those Kempo gloves. Man. Now, I do think when we get to stage three, that uh, for any kind of public sporting competition or anything like that, then yeah, you need protective equipment. A cup at, least at the least minimally, you know, yeah, yeah a cup and a mouthpiece, mouthpiece and maybe some light gloves. Depending upon what, if you if you can, if the two guys are from the same style and you know what types of strikes are allowed, right, you can set it up that way. Okay, well, speaking of stage three, why don't you define stage three for us a little? That's a, little a good bit idea. There. Okay, well, you could say the third stage is where you get into free sparring or competition, um, and that's when the person's integrated all this material that you've taught them to the level that. Uh, uh, their performance is consistent and fluid, and the motor programs involved in it are well-learned, stored away in the long-term memory. You're also mm. physically built up to the point where you're you can cap- take more punishment. You can take more punishment, and you're also capable physically of doing all the things you want to do without having to worry about hurting yourself. Yeah, and early I student problem. They control. try to kick too high. They try yeah. to, you know, that sort of thing. <laughs> Not or me. Kick, it, kick it the wrong, <laughs> attack the wrong targets, the yeah. stupid ones. 
And I imagine you get better control, too. And so. that's very important to free sparring in a lot of traditional systems because a lot of traditional systems that do this in-house don't use padding. Mm-hmm. So you basically have to say, okay, we're going to pull punches to the face or pull strikes to the head, uh, go full force to the body, you know, know this, know that, but this is okay. You sort of set up your in-house rules. And you have that's to your tr- insurance paper right there. Yeah, <laughs> you, you have to trust the other person that you're sparring with to have enough control not to, you know, take your head off if they catch you wide. Trust open. fall. That, that's yeah. the prearranged agreement, I'm assuming. Like and the, you have to the, be. I a- won't bite if you won't bite. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um, thanks for stealing that. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and also to. Uh, for the person who gets stung. In free sparring, you have to have enough self-control and you have to have sublimated your ego enough that you don't get all hot under the collar if somebody accidentally dings you a little harder than you thought they should. And the coach or teacher or whatever needs to be paying attention big time during this time because you have to pull that guy. The moment you see the blood go red to his head, red head, you know, and you see him huffing and puffing, you yeah. need to pull him right then. Yeah, because you can totally see that. There's <laughs> yeah. A, yeah, you can absolutely He's about to see bankrupt you. There. He is about to bankrupt you. <laughs> yeah. And this is the part where we get into uh, the level where the person has the physical skills to perform what's necessary within the system. And then they can start thinking about strategy and, and tactics and other ways to beat their opponent, right. even while they're doing it. Because they won't have to think about how to block or how to move. They just know what they want to do, and they start thinking about how to try to set it up. But if something goes wrong, you will react automatically at mm-hmm. that point, or at least you're working on reacting. And your little technique might not work, but since you followed that principle, oh, I need to move to the side, and so I do. Right. You know, at the right time and stuff, I might not have hit him exactly where I'd like, but I didn't get jammed up, so yeah. that's a good thing. In the end, if you're training to, to, um, to use it in real life uh, to, for self-defense as opposed to training to get into amateur or professional sports with it, this is where the focus starts diverging a little because, mm-hmm. um, you know, like even just successfully not getting hurt in a sparring match is really good if you're coming at it from a self-defense point of view. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I could see that. But if you're coming at it from a competitive point of view where you're getting into a sport, then you can't play the neutral game. No. You know, um, you it's be okay, the aggressor for but, the most part. Yeah, but in a lot of cases, if somebody confronts you on the street, if you're good enough to just protect yourself and back away and maybe create some space, then it's over. Mm-hmm. You know? And again, the you know the the act of sparring itself will help you sublimate your ego to the point where you can do that, and you don't ha- think everybody that insults you on the street needs to be shot. <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> well, one thing before we close this segment up that I'd like to add too, um, because it's something that I'm slowly building. Um, for my guys, because I, I, by next year they'll be ready to get into you know higher phases for stuff. But um, it's first aid, first aid kits, and I think training, which is important to train certain level students once they hit a phase, is how to do it. You know, if you're in the the pisser and your two senior students are going at it, you trust them, and then you come out and one's got a bloody nose. At least they know how to you know stop right. it or well, whatever. I mean, in my opinion, any anybody that's allowing uh, any kind of sp- sparring with medium to heavy contact in their classes, at least one person in that class that's not fighting right. should have uh, up-to-date CPR and first aid training. Mm-hmm. And you got to have that kit in your car or wherever, you exactly. know, if you're 
like us and you're out in the field, you got to keep it handy somewhere. Mm-hmm. Just and first aid kits are cheap. Just buy one. You know, you can get a basic, yeah. a, a decent enough one for twenty bucks and throw it in the trunk of your car and not worry about it for a couple of years. And actually, even though we should know this because we're martial arts teachers, we actually know it because we're new parents. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? While CPR training may not exactly be cheap. It's so valuable, though, in the long run, mm-hmm. it's especially just join the Boy Scouts or get it for free, like yeah. th- like that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in the spirit of full disclosure, disclosure, I'll say part of what got me started on this was uh, reading a couple of interesting threads over at Rum Soaked Fist on the myelination process and how you know uh, the what the cognitive science on on learning the state of that currently. And there's some there's some interesting back and forth on that over there. If you want to go take a look, that's great because I I was actually turned on to that kind of subject uh, from. Uh, when we were speaking, I believe it was with Ash, was it? Uh, somebody was talking about um, different learning modalities, you know, and, mm-hmm. and what's happening there, and that there was a lot written on it. You know, and I thought about it. You know, I haven't really read anything other yeah. than the old traditional stuff well, on it. I'd we like to do that. definitely just skipped across the top on this. What, what I think is fascinating, though, is that the traditional stuff, for the most part, uh, tends, because these people, you know, when these traditional arts were formed, were using this to prepare for life-threatening situations uh, that they encountered on a regular basis, a a lot of the pragmatics of that still hold true, even under... You it's know, just the new neuroscience. Well, name. You know, the explanations for how that happens internally yeah. have changed it's, as we've learned a lot exactly. more via science. Exactly, and that's because what works works. Right. And Period. what neuroscience <laughs> does is explains why, why? what works yeah. works. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, and maybe a little teaser for some future discussion topics. This sort of leads into uh, volition or intent really only being a huge factor in the early stages. A lot of people say you need intent to fight, but is that true? Because if you're actually fighting, um, intent involves thinking about it, right? Like I'm just focusing and, and thinking. So maybe it's a definition I don't know. I think struggle. We, you, I think you you know that you and I both have differing opinions on yeah. that one. But well, cool. but then again, you'll like this part. Uh, the later stages are not may not be concerned with conscious thought or intent. Oh, Wu Wei, uh, and yeah, and even tactics and strategy become subconscious. So is that Wu Wei? Yeah, it could be woo. I don't know if it's way. Maybe it's <laughs> well, way. I tell woo. you, I'll tell you. Every time I've been in a real fight where I could potentially be hurt and people are actually trying to kick my you ass, you don't remember it when you come out. The details don't, rem- <laughs> don't remember the details for Dick on the other side. Uh-huh. I just know I won. At, well, <laughs> for me, it's like movie stills. I can remember like flash photo shots, but never a continual stream like a video or that kind of thing. Yep. Hey, when anytime I was playing shows back in the day when I used to do that. If I remembered specific things, they were never good. They were always bad. <laughs> yeah, you only remember you know? the mistakes. Yeah, exactly. Back and to the because, music analogy. Look at that. I, well, I have to. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, though. It, that's all he's got. <laughs> but that's always cool, though. You know, you see that pairing off a lot. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we're running a little late to get to our interview, so let's go ahead and wrap up this discussion topic, and we'll be right back from a short trip to the Champagne Lounge. <laughs>
Okay, we're back with our interview, Mr. John Wong. Um, he's a student of Changdong Sheng and others, a Shui Zhao practitioner, very famous on the interwebs for his pithy commentaries on many subjects. Um, uh, Mr. Wong, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself, just uh, what you do now and, uh, and who you are so they'll know who we're talking to. Okay, uh, my name is John Wen, and uh, I retired from IBM uh, since 2003, so it's almost uh, nine years by now. Uh, I started my Tai Chi training when I was seven years old. Eleven years, uh, when I was 11, I learned uh, Luo Han system from my brother-in-law. Hmm. Uh, and in high school, I learned, I joined uh, the strategy team, and a year, uh, semester later, I switched to, uh, to Kung Fu uh, club uh, in high school. Uh, yeah, I've been practicing since then. Uh, and this was, in, this was in Taiwan, correct? In Taiwan, yes. Okay. Uh, tell us a little bit more about your early training uh, in, in the Lohan system. Is that something you still practice, or was that just a foundation to get you started? Well, the Lohan system is very funny. The reason I, I train martial arts is mainly for fighting. It's not for health or self-improvement right. or condition, anything. So I have to be very honest. Fighting is my main purpose. In first grade, I don't know about that today, but back in my age, we, we, we fought every day. Every single day we fight. So, uh, you know, kids fight. Yeah. Not very serious, but uh, it's, we imitate like real fight. Mm-hmm. So every day I came home with a bruise over my body. Uh, <laughs> and, and on the third grade, I, I got a, a first teacher, which was uh, a Tai Chi teacher. Uh, he taught me the Tai Chi form, and I tried to use Tai Chi to fight, and uh, didn't work very well. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I keep looking. Uh, on my third, uh, third grade, my brother-in-law taught me the law hands, and he taught me a, a form called the Ba Gua Chen, not the Ba Gua uh, Palm. It's Ba Gua Chen. Okay. Uh, Gua and also he taught me uh, a, a staff form called, called the Peace Organ. Ah. Uh, then I, again, I tried to use the information he taught me in fighting and uh when they asked him, I said, uh, I really not quite understand how to use the info stuff. He taught me how to fight uh, in the fighting. And he said, well, if you're interested in fighting, just go ahead and work on one step, three punches for three years. Mm-hmm. So I stopped uh, learning form from him. I stopped working on uh, one step, three punches for quite some time. And uh, that was uh, my first time I got serious into uh, martial art. And did working on that that extensively uh, help you fight at that point? After a oh, while, yeah. uh, one step, three punches. I think that's uh, probably the most uh, valuable lesson I ever learned when I was a kid. That's where k- karate took that first. That's Sanchin right there. Oh, really? Is it Sanchin kata? Well, that's where it came from. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not a form. It's not a kata. It's it the just concept. It's you step one step, you punch three times. Mm-hmm. You make another step, you punch three times. Very, very simple. Simple, very simple drill. But if oh, done so well, it will knock shit. another dude on his ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So um, after you had that under your belt, what did you move on to next? Well, in high school, uh, I joined the Swajiao Club. 
the funny things was uh, in one day in my in my in my, uh, my class I had one two guys was argue uh, got into argument one guy uh, was in the uh, soldier team and another guy was in the the kung fu team and uh, the 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 Kung Fu guy used an inside crescent kick and put a shoes mark on the soldier guy's face. They both are begin- beginners. And I thought, oh, this is cool. I want to learn that. Uh, so uh, a semester later, I switched to uh, the Kung Fu club. And uh, in the whole three years of my high school, I've been pretty much working on the, the long fist system. And that was the main system they start, taught in the, in the Kung Fu club? Yes, that's long, that's a, that's a, that's the main system, the long fist system. The well, North, people call that Northern Shaolin style today. Yeah, which uh, which branch of that was it? Because that's such a large. Uh, uh, we cover uh, Zhahua, Hong, Tan, Pao, except Hong Hong is the system, only system we don't cover. Like uh, we cover Zhaquan number four, uh, Huaquan, uh, Taizu, long fist. Uh, no, no Hong, Pao is like a third form of number three, Pao Chuan, and the Tantui. So okay. cover for pretty much everything besides uh, the Hong system. Oh, very interesting. It's, once again, Tantui pops up. It seems like everybody has a, a version of that in their history. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. It's very good for basic. Yeah. Yeah, make it strong, too. <laughs> um. So uh, from there, how did you wind up getting in, interested in Shuai Zhao? Well, uh, <laughs> again, <laughs> uh, I, I, like, I, like, I love sparring, but, but during the sparring back then, it was a control sparring. And uh, I realized uh, when you control your punch, but your opponent does not control your punch, it's not <laughs> much fun. No. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also... If you do control sparring every day, then you really don't have a confidence that uh, your punch is any good. So there's always a dissatisfaction uh, feeling in the striking arts. Uh, and then I remember I, I want, uh, my soldier be, uh, learning in the first semester in high school. Uh, so I got back into the grabbing art, the throwing art. And uh, you know, when you throw somebody... You know that's real. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, nobody will let you stand, uh, punch, uh, knock him, uh, knock him down. Uh, in reality, but you can throw somebody down, but you, which uh, is much safer. And they don't uh, have much of a choice in the matter either. <laughs> <laughs> right, they don't always get a choice uh, when it comes to throwing. Uh, cool. So that that. Uh, that added a certain pragmatism in your practice to allow you to, to feel like uh, you had something more practical and, and something you'd have more confidence in than, than uh, just uh, controlled sparring with the, with the Northern Shaolin, right? Right. Well, actually, we did some full-contact sparring back then. Uh, I, I, I borrowed two uh, candle uh, protection gear, you know, the, the bamboo chest protection and the helmet. Yes. Mm-hmm. And the funny thing was... Uh, Pretty soon, I, f- I find I find out I build a bad habit. I don't block punch on the chest anymore because it doesn't hurt. <laughs> 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 so, <laughs> uh, too much protection is not good. No protection is not good. Uh, yeah, it's hard to well, find that, that happy medium. <laughs> that's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, did you ever uh, compete much in Shuai Jiao, or were you just training purely for the fighting? 
for self-defense? Well, uh, you talk about Shuai Jiao or you talk about uh, striking? Uh, either one, actually. I mentioned Shuai Jiao first, but either one. Okay. Uh, yes, I compete a lot. Uh, actually, I was a U.S. heavyweight champion uh 1982 1983 and 1984 wow very cool that's a dynasty <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh 1984 actually i i, I fought in super heavyweight because uh, one of my students i want him to have a chance to win heavyweight so i, <laughs> I move myself up and uh 84 was uh, the last year I ever competed formally. Uh, in 85, uh, 84 was a year I brought my soldier team to Taiwan, compete in Taiwan. Uh, 85, I brought my team to China, compete in China for three tournaments. And how did those work out? Uh, pretty good. In Taiwan, we compete in Taipei. Kaohsiung and uh, Tainan, we had a three tournament. In China, we compete in uh, Beijing, Hangzhou, and Shanghai. Excellent. Um, so do you still coach teams, or uh, have you gotten out of that world altogether at this point? Uh, well, actually, my, 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 I have a four, four of my students has a commercial school, so I don't run commercial school anymore. Uh, but my students still train. Uh, right now, we, we're more interested in the Santa instead. Okay. So uh, more of a Chinese-oriented mixed martial art with upright striking and the ground. Right. I uh, think 2000, 2006, we, we brought our Santa team to Taiwan and we compete in Taiwan. Very nice. Yeah, so they're doing well with that out there? Uh, yeah, they, they did pretty good. Uh, we had some winning, we had some loss, some losing, which... Uh, hey, that's life. <laughs> yeah. Um, cool. Well, uh, one of the things you're famous for uh, on the uh, on the internet, where I've, uh, which is where I found out about you, is uh, you're uh, pretty strictly pragmatic in your approach to things and uh, have a distaste for things like style boundaries. You're very much into cross-training. You seem to be very much about what works uh, no matter where it comes from. Uh, yeah, I'm a course training guy. Uh, actually, back in 19, 1980, before the MMA was e- the name was even mentioned, we already started to do the cross training. Uh, I have trained about ten different Chinese martial style. Uh, like I mentioned, like uh, I start with the Tai Chi and go, went to Luo Han and went to Long Fist. Yeah, when I was training Long Fist uh, at that time, I was training side job. Uh, uh, and we also every weekend my we we also drove to another mentor school seven uh, seven star mentor school we exchange our uh, information with them so we train mentors at that time and later I trained Baji from my friend and trained uh, Win Chun from my fr- uh, classmate in UT Austin. Nice. Then I went back to Taiwan. I trained the Zimen style, hmm. and also my teacher. My soldier teacher uh, taught me the Xin Yi styles. Uh, and when I opened my school, my uh, partner was a white ape. So we exchanged lots of white ape information. So I got some idea about white ape. I learned like a three form from them. Uh, well, and well, back in 1973, 
I had a group of uh, good friends. One is uh, one guy is uh, uh, Taekwondo black belt, Sandy Nash, uh, Okinawa karate guy uh, John Ray, and Hapkido guy. Uh, uh, what is his name? Uh, uh, gosh, I forgot his name. And four of us, we were like a gang of four. Uh, we spoil all the time. Also, next to next door of my uh, commercial school, uh, there was a Say Hi Chinese grocery store. The owner is was uh, a Thai boxer, professional Thai boxer before. Oh, nice. So every day after class, we just I uh, spent a lot of sparring time with him. At that time, I already got interest in uh, Thai boxing and uh, karate, taekwondo. And I even competed one time in uh, uh, Golden Glove boxing. So you, you can you can you can tell that uh, style that it doesn't mean very much to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what uh, now? As you're pulling things from different styles, um, I, I guess does it seem like each style sort of has a focus where they sort of excel at one thing and are maybe not so good at other things, like? Uh, you know what? What specifically would you pull from White Ape? What were they known for, or any other style? Well, the White Ape I learned from was has a uh, uh, jumping, uh, tiger hopping, uh, monkey dodging, and uh, eagle flipping. Uh, and also, I learned uh, from my friend uh, called Wu Song Yuanyang to has a. So, uh, very interesting kicking combination. Where actually it's a front kick, roundhouse kick, and uh, back kick uh, combination. Uh, the form is not very long, but the training is you keep your arm loose. You hit your right hand on your on your right upper leg. You hit your right hand on your left hand. Then your left hand come down, hit your left left leg. So. When you start moving around your arm, you you, you hear like a pop 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 kind of sound. <laughs> right. You know those those make your body very relaxed, and uh, by by hearing the sound, you know how fast you're moving. So that's a good uh, indication for speed training. Ah, so interesting. In, in my experience, uh, my experience, the white app is very good for really relax and speed and loose up. Excellent. I, I could actually ask you about every single style you mentioned, what you pulled out of it, because that's very interesting. Uh, but I, I won't bog us down with that. Uh, actually, hell, throw in one more. Uh, uh, Zuron Men, is that, is that one of the... Zuron Men. Tell us a little bit about that, because that's not a style very many people are very familiar with. And, and, and what you uh, pulled Zuron is, is a southern Chinese style. It's from uh, Jiangxi province. Uh, the main the main purpose of the style is a pressure point attack. That was my major re- interest. Okay. Yeah, I was interested in a pressure point attack because that seems like at that time, Simon was the only system still preserved that uh, uh, training. I learned six forms from them, uh, and uh, but the main training is on the fingertip. Uh, you sleep on the bed. You put the iron board on next to your head. You put your fingertip on top of your iron board. Keep keep your arm, uh, elbow uh, uh, racing in the air when you sleep. The theory is when you sleep eight hours, you train martial for eight hours. Oh wow! So, yeah, so your theory, fingertips pressing into the board the whole time you sleep. When all time, when you uh, flip over, you 
you train the other hand. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Zimeng is a very good system for speed uh, because uh, in, in, in Chinese martial arts, people know that the Mantis is uh, good for speed, but the Zimeng is even faster than speed because they, they don't emphasize much on the punching, they emphasize on the finger point striking. Of course, if your arm are extremely loose, uh, you only care about fingertip striping. You you can reach ex- extremely softness. Right. Uh, are the strikes more whippy or or, or pokey? Straight, 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 straight to the slow. Yeah, straight to the slow, straight to the ribs, straight to the eyes. Uh, it's very very fast. And uh, <laughs> funny funny thing is, I use the Zimmer's, uh principle to spar with. Uh, uh, karate guy, several karate guy, and they didn't know what I was was doing because <laughs> <laughs> again, it's not a full contact fight, so it's not very convincing. Right? <laughs> would would but, you would you say that your exploration of your different of the different styles you've 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 um, you've you've uh, um, experienced are is would it would you say it's more of an academic kind of thing, or were you looking to kind of like maybe feel fill holes in, in, in the training well, you had before. Well, in Chinese martial arts, we always want to learn three things. The speed, the power, and uh, the throwing. The speed in, in, in Chinese martial arts, as, as far as I know, uh, mental system and the Zimen system has extremely speed. Uh, for power, uh, you can you can learn from Chen, Chen Star Tai Chi, you can learn from Baji. And you can learn from the Xing Yi Liu, Xing Yi Liu, and uh, that's why I got interested in the body system. Of course, the throwing art you just learn from the side job. Uh, so, I mean, my training, I use the mantis speed and Zimen speed training and the body power generation training and uh, uh, Chinese wrestling throwing art training. Uh, to me, that's uh, kind of complete. Otherwise, it's incomplete. So it's a traditional mixed martial art that you practice. Uh, yes, uh, <laughs> but look at from different a little bit different point of view. Is you know today's mixed martial art, you're looking at uh, striking, kicking, punching, locking, throw, ground skill. Right. But in Chinese uh, uh, mixed martial art training, you're looking for speed, power, and throwing, locking. Speed, so, power, throwing, so, and locking. Yeah, instead of thinking about kicking, punching, you, you, you emphasize because every star has a kicking, punching, but not every star has a speed training and uh, power power generation training. Oh, I see, I see. Okay, and uh, now quickly before we move along, uh, since you learned uh, the the point striking, does that mean you have the death touch? <laughs> I'm sorry, it's well, a joke. <laughs> <laughs> The, the training method is uh, seems logical, but I find out this uh, diff, diff, uh, distance between the reality and the theory, mm-hmm. and that's why I no longer uh, uh, that much that serious about death touch because uh, to sleep uh, on the bed on uh, to, to training during sleep is not is not pleasant. Right, <laughs> <laughs> not pleasant. You know, if, if if you work out every day and you at least you want to be sleep, you want to be peaceful, relaxed. You don't want to <laughs> even uh, work out. You you sleep. 
The funny thing is, uh, one day I spar with uh, one of my senior brother in uh, in the Zimen system, and uh, he hit me uh, uh, very hard on my soul and did not kill me. And that question raised a, a doubt about my my question about uh, can somebody really kill me with a fingertip strike? Uh, you know, I, I'm a realistic person. If I don't see something happen. Uh, I won't believe it just because somebody told me. Right. That's the safest place to be, I think. <laughs> um, so, in, in other words, uh, I kind of lost faith in that system. Okay. Um, I, and I'm assuming a lot of that uh, quote-unquote pressure point striking was directed at soft targets just in general, like the throat, things that we all know actually do hurt and can kill you if you get hit hard enough in them. Right. And not right. just acupuncture points or that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, there's, there's some vital point, which uh, the acupuncture point is hard to hit because uh, uh, most most of the pressure points are not easy, that easy to, to, to get. It. But the uh, instrument system, the major spot, striking area is uh, below the ribs. Uh, you pull your opponent's arm, you use your fingers, just strike right into the into the ribs. Uh but again, that's, uh, uh, since I have not seen anybody can kill another person with a fingertip, myself kind of lost confidence in that. Right. Short of pulling a trigger. Right. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. All, all, my, all my life, I, I, I pretty much like only believe in uh, since I can see I, instead of something I cannot see. Right. I, I admire that. <laughs> we, we tend to be along the same lines. Okay, here. That's kind of where Dave live at. Yeah. Lives at. <laughs> um, well, uh, another thing you're known for uh, on the good old interwebs is uh, you know using uh, colorful web, uh, colorful uh, language and analogies. I, I'm, I'm surprised you didn't uh, bring up uh, how it might disrupt your love life if you uh, spent too much time <laughs> training in your sleep. Uh, <laughs> and uh, the the your profile picture has changed recently on the on the web, but before you used to just have this spiked ring. Can you tell us a little bit about your ring? Is that oh, a custom spiker, thing? Yeah. A oh, spiked ring is I, I pay like nineteen ninety five on uh, to order online. Personally, I think that's the uh, easiest things uh, uh, to have in a ground fight. If you have a spiked ring on a ground fight, uh, you have lost advantage. Uh, and, and also, uh, I think it's quite handy to have a spiker in your pockets uh, sometime. You never know when you're going to use it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. What have you? Uh, what sort of uses have you found for yours? Uh, I have never used that in reality, but uh, I always keep with me. Uh, you know, martial is like a buying insurance. You, right. you hope you never have to use it, but. Uh, if you do, it would be coming handy. Yeah, and you could probably open a beer with it if you had to, right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, actually, uh, in in uh, in a ground fight, I depend a lot on my headlock. Yeah, you know, I spend most of my lifetime in the headlock, and that's the one thing I can I saw the effect is when my teacher used a headlock on me, uh, I feel my skull was almost cracked, and. Uh, 
after I got that feeling, I spent time on that training. The training was not pleasant, but uh, uh, the reward is great. It pays off. So how how do you train for for a skull cracking headlock in Shuajiao? We actually uh, I made a a, a short film. Uh, if you Google Kung Fu Wen K U N G space F U space W A N G, you will find uh, that clip uh, I made. Actually, you you hang yourself on the pole, and in the beginning, when you hang on the pole. You use your arm to carry your body weight. You know, like you use a arm to uh, hold on the pole. Uh, so you lock the arm on there and dangle, holding yeah, only and, by the and, arm, and, and, and hang your hang your weight. Uh, Is this a horizontal or a vertical pole? A uh, vertical pole. Okay. It's just like a like a street sign. Okay. Uh, then gradually, then you you twist your leg on the, the pole. Then gradually you transfer your weight from your arm to your leg, so you develop the leg twisting. Uh, by the way, leg twisting is an illegal move in judo today. Yeah, mm. we had a previous guest who was complaining about all the stuff that had been legalized out of judo. Oh yeah, he was he was he years. was irritated. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, yeah, that so a uh, headlock and leg twisting was. Uh, my Shadow te- teacher's uh, favorite move. That's why. Uh, so I spent time working on it. Cool. Um, t- describe leg twisting really quickly for us, for the listeners who might not have uh, had any exposure. What kind of tactic it is? Leg <laughs> twisting. When you move in, Hold on one second. We, hold on one second, John. Uh, we're having a little yeah. glitchiness on Skype. Let me just get you to start that description over for leg twisting. It broke up, but you've cleared up now. Okay, you mean the training? Yes. Electricity training? Yes. Okay. When you hang on the uh, on the pole, you uh, you lock your arm like a headlock. Uh, you twist your leg on the on the on the pole. Uh, you gradually transfer your weight from your arm to your leg. Uh, then later on, you release one arm. You only hang with one one arm only. At that time, uh, it's more than sixty uh, percent of the weight has been transferred to your leg. Uh, then uh, your leg will have uh, a greater twisting power. And you use this to take down and to to grapple or sort of grapevine your opponent. I'm, I'm guessing. Well, the leg twisting is uh, is is a very is a must have skill because in in the grappling art there's a two major category. One is called the non-body contact. You're face to face. Your face point. Uh, you're facing your opponent's face. Another uh, uh, category called the body contact. Your back touch your opponent's chest. Okay. You know, for instance, like in, if you know, understand judo, like hip slow uh, right. or, or shoulder slow, you, your back has to touch your opponent's chest. Okay. When you do that, the, the, you are very vulnerable for your opponent to pick it up, lift you off the ground. Right. In order for you to prevent that from happening, you have to trace your leg on your opponent's legs. 
So your body and his body will connect as one union. When he picked you up, you just grew on his body. It is at that moment you extend your legs, so move your central gravity outside of you as far as you can. And that will make your opponent feel much heavier to lift you up. The moment he drops you, the moment you throw him. Ah. Uh, so electricity is a very important defense skill. Without electricity, uh, you will not be able to apply most of the throwing skill, body contact throwing skill. Okay, that makes sense. And also, when you try to throw your opponent, your opponent uh, most likely will sink. When your opponent sinks down, his knee will bend. When, he's, when you detect his knee will bend, you lock, you twist your leg on his knee joint. If you sit, you can break his knee joint, which that is very, very ugly technique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As we cackle gleefully about it. <laughs> we like the gore stories. Um, no, that's, that, uh, that's great. I, I, in, in the spirit of full disclosure, I, I just picked up Shui Zhao recently, started training with David Lin. I think you know him. Uh, from Atalanta, Georgia? Yes, yes. Okay, he's a, he's, he's, a, he's a great guy. He's the only guy in my life I have never sparred, but I admit he's better than me. Oh, that's <laughs> a pretty tall order, yeah. You know, when I was in Taiwan, every, uh, my teacher had a girlfriend. Well, my teacher passed away, but he had a girlfriend. Yes. Uh, well, actually, his girlfriend was like his secretary, handle all his, uh, 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 all his, business, his business. Because at that time, I tried to invite my teacher to my, live with me in my house so I can learn from him. Uh, but uh, his uh, girlfriend constantly want me to link a fight with David Lin. But we, we never got a chance to fight in Taiwan, never got a chance to meet each other. Oh, that's a shame. <laughs> well, it's not too late. <laughs> He's still around, and so are you. <laughs> yeah, and now uh, I don't have to fight him. I, I, I admit he's better than me. Well, I'll pass that along. That'll probably bring joy to his heart. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, I'm totally green in this, so I, I really appreciate you elucidating some of those Swai Jiao questions for me. Um, uh, now, moving along a little bit here, uh, what, are you, what are your current what's your current focus in training or teaching here as you move forward from this point uh right now i'm pretty much working on the integration kick and punch and lock and throw integration uh we start to integrate some ground ground skill as well okay uh so uh in other words how to use the kicking punching to create a grabbing opportunity like one time i uh, I talked to David Lin I, and he, uh, about headlock. David Lin gave uh, give me a question. He said, if I keep moving back, there's no way you can get a headlock on me. That question bothered me a lot. And I, I, I test myself. I find out it's true. If my opponent keep moving away, it's very difficult for me to get a headlock. Okay. So his question made me think. Originally, I thought kicking punch, use a kicking punch to create a throwing. Then I realized I need to use the kicking punching to create a clinching. Right. Uh, upright grappling to set yeah. it up. In other words, I cannot ignore the clinching. I have to, when I pull my opponent into me, 
it's easy for me to apply headlock. If I don't pull him into me, I try to use a headlock, it's too easy to miss. In other words, when a pulling is uh, become an important factor, uh, but the, we saw the jacket, how to pull if your opponent doesn't have a shirt, that's mm-hmm. the art. So I spend a lot of time investigating how to do effectively pulling a human body. Uh, that was my major interest in the past several years. Do you, uh, uh, I'd be keen to hear a little bit about what you've discovered doing that. I mean, do you, do you use skin grabbing or do you use, uh, uh, how to say this, um, where you grab without squeezing but just make a cuff, you know, like to, that their hand won't slip through to yank people off balance? What kind of tactics did you find out worked well for grappling initially with, uh, with an unjacketed opponent? Oh, we saw jacket. Uh, well, first, if if you uh, if you use the right hand, try to grab your left hand. You will find out there's some points which is easy to grab. Mm-hmm. Okay. Your elbows there's a two point. There's two pieces of point, like uh, right here. Yes. If you use your finger, you will find out uh, you can pull much much easier. If you try the other places, you will slip away. But if you find the right spot, there's only one spot which two finger can pull the whole arm. So. We saw jacket. That's uh, that's the best pulling spot. Actually, your elbow was off camera. There, it was a little below the camera. Could you show okay. me one more time? Because I'll use this. <laughs> yeah, no, can you see now? Yes, yes. Yeah. See right now, if you if you if you see right here. Uh huh. If you pull, you can see there's a two piece of bone which uh, you can hold on to it. Right. So basically, he uh, for the listeners, he's sort of cupping the elbow in the palm of his hand and the thumb is landing on the outside of the arm where there's a divot there between the bone that it can hook right, into. Right. Okay. And, and uh, in other words, we saw pulling, we saw pulling uh, 50% of the throwing art will not be able to work. Uh, but we saw jacket, the pulling is not easy. Right. So, so in other words, to ch- change from... Uh, Gee slow to no gee slow, you had to find replacement for all the pulling contact point. Right. And uh, to find out all the pulling contact point is not, uh, that job has not been done yet, either by judo wrestling or by, by side job. So that's that currently was, what you're working on building up a, a curriculum for. Right. Try to, try to find a smooth, uh, migration path from uh, jacket saw to no jacket saw. Very interesting. Now, but still remain, still remain all the throwing skill. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm keen to see how that works out. We're going to have to follow that. Um, well, we've had you on for a little while now, and we also, it took us a little extra time to get the interview going because we had some technical difficulties, so I, I don't want to keep you busy all night, but uh, before we uh, start to wrap this up, we always, uh, every guest we have on, uh, we try to squeeze a couple of, uh, uh, I call them feet of clay stories about uh, weird or, or messed up or unusual things that happened to you during your training life, or maybe just some, some funny anecdotes. Uh, so if you have anything like that, uh, we'd love to hear it. You mean a story? Yeah, yeah, just, uh, you know. Any wacky stories? It sounds like you've had a long and checkered martial arts career, so I'm sure there's some in there somewhere. <laughs> uh, uh, let me see. There was uh, too many things happened in my life. Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Well, one uh, one thing I can remember. Uh, actually, my student remembers. I totally forgot. Uh, <laughs> Those are the best I, I, ones. <laughs> yeah, I, I taught in a UT Austin formal class. I had about fifty students. At that time, I, I invite my my teacher stay with me in my house. Uh, so when I have a class, I go with him. Wow. So I let him sit down so when I teach. And now, which started, which teacher was this? Uh, uh, um, uh, my side teacher. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Before I saw the class, there was one karate guy walking uh, and uh, just bought me his, uh, may I spar with you in front of my student. And, <laughs> and this uh, is not a martial arts class, right? This is a university class. University martial arts class. Oh, it's a university martial arts class. Okay, just making yes. sure I'm clear. <laughs> yes. Uh, and <laughs> uh, and I, uh, when, when, when he asked me, can I spar with, uh, with, uh, with me? I said, yes. Then... Uh, uh, after I say yes, I just jump in and put him on the ground. <laughs> 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 then, then I turn around and I look at my students and say, let's start the class. <laughs> then that night, my teacher said, <laughs> you, you shouldn't give him any chance, don't you? And why, should I, why should I? He challenged me. <laughs> that's <laughs> right. He's not ready. That's his problem, not my problem. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. <laughs> uh, good. I like it. Um Another event was uh, it was a Chicago uh, workshop. David Lin uh, gave a workshop in Chicago, mm-hmm. and one guy uh, after end our workshop, one guy wanted to challenge David Lin, but David Lin doesn't want to accept challenge because it's not a good uh, tradition. Uh, I, I said, well, okay, I I I accept a challenge, and uh, he and I we walk into a room. Uh, I thought uh, he, just he and I, the two person only. Uh, but I, I didn't realize what a whole bunch of people came in with a videotape camera and filmed the whole thing. Uh-huh. So I asked him, how you want to, uh, how you want to fight? Uh, everything goes? He said, yeah, everything goes. Then uh, at that moment, I, my mind was, what strategy should I use? I think, uh, should I hurt him or should I not hurt him? Then I decided I won't just want to scale him. <laughs> so I jump in very quickly. I think I I, I use uh, I, I I strike on his face like five six times before he realized what's happening. <laughs> then suddenly he said, "Oh, whoa, uh, what's happening? That's not what he expected." What's <laughs> happening? <laughs> <laughs> in other words, I, I like to surprise people. I don't like to follow the rules. I, I like that attitude. <laughs> Oh, well, you know, a lot of people say you get that first lick in, your chances of winning go way up. Oh, yeah. And uh, if they're, <laughs> frankly, if they're going to come challenge you, then they deserve whatever they get. That's right. Yeah, my favorite joke is if you can beat me with a, with an open hand, I come back with a knife. If you can beat me with a knife, I come back with a gun. If you can beat me with a gun, I sue you. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, um... Can you uh, go ahead now and tell us uh, where people who might want to contact you can contact you or what your web presence is or any information you'd like to get out to the listeners? Uh, well, I have a website called uh, johnswen.com, G-O-H-N-S-W-A-N-G.com. People make fun, uh, fun, fun about my website because I didn't know John's win has some special meaning in English. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, both your first and last name could be construed that yeah. way. <laughs> <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, the reason I put the John S. win because uh, 
John Wen uh, website was taken by a Korean guy, and uh, so I put my middle name initial S into it. And uh, you'll probably I, get more hits that way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that's why my website and. Uh, uh, People always can contact me on the internet discussion forum. Yeah, you seem to be on several of those. I know uh, uh, Rum Soak Fist, and uh, are there any other places you frequent? People can go look at some of your postings. Uh, the Gong Fu uh, magazine, magazine. Yeah, and uh, also Map M A P Martial Art Planet. Uh, Plan. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Um. Any, is there anything that we forgot to ask you that you would like to get out there for folks? Well, uh, my, uh, I don't believe there's any int- difference between internal style and external style. Ah, okay. And uh, because I, I sing in the, in the grappling art, there's a lot of internal uh, flavor like sinking, soft, sticky, follow, borrow force. Uh, and we, t- we took all those for granted. Uh, t- to me, uh, a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu guy probably know how to relax more than sometimes even a Taiji guys because they have to relax. Uh, right. So try, uh, try to think that... Uh, uh, some internal uh, element only exists in Taiji Xing or Bagua is not a fair statement in my opinion. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. And also, if you're practicing something that claims to be internal and you don't ever develop any physical strength to back it up, then you know it, it, they're two sides of a coin. They're not. They're not something categorically different from each other. I don't think the human body mm-hmm. has two sides naturally. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on. <laughs> Yes. Right, right. I, I, I think the, the uh, soft is good for defense, but you need a hard for offense. You, you can't soft your opponent to death. No. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe with a dump truck full of jello or something. I don't know if you got the yeah. drop on him. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this has been fantastic. We want to thank you for coming on the show, taking some time out for us, and. Uh, Definitely. Yeah, and we'll we'll keep track of what you're doing, uh, and uh, uh, we appreciate you coming on. from the Hyatt Submersible deep underneath Lake Lanier. <laughs> we have news, news, news from the news desk with Craig S. Keesling. Ah, yeah. Yes, we got us some news. Back in the news last year, I'm sure everybody remembers, there was uh, 
an incident or two or many over in England involving violence and riots and things of that nature. What, a soccer game? Yeah, I think that was it. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually what inspires nah, the violence. you know, the whole political insurgence and all that kind of stuff. Wait, We're are you angry. talking about England or France? England, buddy, England. Okay. London, England. Stay on track. All right, trying. I know, I know. It's tough. It's late. Anyway... Um, so there were some, you know, a few hot spots around the country and especially areas in London uh, where more violence was happening than not. And uh, one young enterprising young fellow, uh, Tim Larkin, uh, was going to be going out there and running a bunch of different uh, seminars, uh, you know, on self-defense and fighting and all that. He's an interesting character, uh, you know, ex-military uh, intelligence type guy. Uh, he really promotes... Um, kill or be killed a lot in his seminars and uh that has come around to bite him on the butt so to speak on the bum i think how, yes how, indeed how so? <laughs> well you know he he went there about three years ago and did this whole tour of duty and and stuff and and running all these seminars and that went great but in light of recent events when he was about to get on the airport in las vegas and head over to london he was handed a nice little letter from the uk border agency saying that he was excluded from Britain. Ouch. Persona non grata. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so he's not too pleased with that, and I guess uh, all the people who paid their money bits are not too pleased with oh, that Oh, yeah, either. I would assume so. <laughs> no refunds if I get locked out of your country. <laughs> That's right. But, yeah, the, the, the spokesperson uh, for, the, for the Border Patrol and whatnot said they were worried it would incite uh, vigilante violence, you see. So. Yeah, but they, they're still going to allow Muslim clerics in. So. <laughs> Good Lord. <laughs> I was wondering what you were doing with your Saturdays. Well, I mean, you know, I hate to say I hate to say he's, he's right, but he's not wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, it, it does kind of bring up a point, which is, um, you know, how far is it socially acceptable to go with this sort of thing? You know, right can I teach a seminar thing. on how to most effectively stick a knife in someone's neck and we all get <laughs> knives and we get training dummies and we just spend the whole time and I put blood packs in them so they squirt blood and we just spend the whole time just stabbing these things in the neck is that too far should society say well, wait a second buster I, i'm assuming you could actually do that at oh least in america in this country. you can yeah, yeah absolutely well it's like you know too with your with your wife or something like that if you if you forget to shut the door quick enough you know she won't talk to you for several days or something like that it's it's just overboard i'm really talking about my wife I, I, I think the overriding i think the overriding uh, um issue there is is whether it's just general like this is how you knife somebody in the neck or whether it's like knife these people in the neck and right. that's kind of where the that's 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 sort of where they the the line that delineates the riot incitement versus you know just general speech uh, there's no incitement that should be happening anyways teaching them an, an art and a skill and and he's not deciding on how they should use it right you know, right that's and, key but i think one of the the good points about what he's doing is what we were talking about earlier with sparring and also john wong brought it up was you know if the challenge or something's going to go down you don't sit there and talk about it after it's already established there's violence to be had you better be the first one to move yeah you know i mean <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that really ups your chances of being the one that walks away. Yeah, no indeed. Doubt. But at the same time, you're right. You need to, I mean, control. You know, control is something very important, you know. <laughs> I mean, 
you can go to jail. You could get yourself killed too. Each person's going to raise the notch a little bit in the middle of a conversation. Yeah, you got to make sure the stakes are really that high before you do it. Or you know, like in the stories John Wong was telling, uh, you know, it's just somebody came in and challenged you. Yeah. Well, if they're going to say, I, "I think I can beat you up," what do you think? No. <laughs> okay, no, well, I'm, let's boom, boom, boom. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, yeah, exactly. Why don't you come over here and try that, sweetheart? Exactly. <laughs> and that's a callback. That's a callback. Hello, back here. That's right. Moving on, moving on. It's getting after dark here. And hey, what do you know? After dark, after Ooh. dark. Well, action. Is this like kung, kung fu Ooh. after dark? It is. Are we going to get actually. naked and do some kung fu? No, we are not. No, 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 no. You don't even know Kung Fu. No, you're right. <laughs> Buddy, do no naked. I'm sure he does. <laughs> but actually, no, After Dark is a uh, entertainment agency I was referring to. Um, they're debuting the first five action flicks. This is a partnership with After Dark Films and Dark Castle Entertainment. Uh, they're kind of releasing all five of them May 11th. So by the time you guys hear this, it's going to be available for you in select theaters around the nation as well as on video demand channels but it's kind of interesting it's a little bit of a callback to the 80s in in the style it's great action um and a fun feel to it and you got some interesting names that are popping up in these videos from Dolph Lundgren to Tsung Lei. Uh, Dolph Lundgren. I haven't yes, heard indeed. that name in years. Uh, exactly. Hell is in the Expendables. Yeah, but I didn't watch that movie. Oh, okay. Uh, Jean-Claude, of course, is going to make his appearance. Um, you know, Peter Whaler. Yeah, I watched the trailer for the one with uh, with uh, Kung Lei and uh, Peter Weller. And mm-hmm. I was surprised to see Peter Weller. I'm like, damn, that's RoboCop. I love Peter Weller. Man. <laughs> and you know what? It looked like, uh, you know, it's definitely second-tier production. It's shot to video and stuff. but uh, And, you know, the acting may not be as starchy as one would like. Oh, yeah. But uh, it looked like there was some really good action in there, so we'll, mm-hmm. we'll uh, I'll That's what withhold judgment until, until we see. Now, I will say this. I, I'm also a big horror movie fan, have been for a long time. Mm-hmm. That's a, if you ever hear Craig say, Shaun of the Shave on this show. Well, it was going to be happening today because you're doing it again. Yeah, I've got one of my favorite t-shirts is my 1970-whatever uh, Dawn of the Dead uh, <laughs> With the <laughs> Sean of the Shade. Yeah, I don't know. I still, he's been saying that for years. And I have no <laughs> fucking idea why. But, uh, but uh, After Dark did uh, uh, the same thing with horror movies for the last few oh, years. Okay. And I think I haven't heard about an After Dark horror film fest this year. So maybe they have shifted hmm. to the shifted action gears. to try this this year. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff they released, they put like six or eight movies out that would play limited runs in theaters. Right. And um, out of those, you know, in the general horror community, maybe one or two each year would get some pretty good buzz. And the rest of them would get gen- generally lambasted. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so about they- a combo, man. And this time, you know, instead of the victim running and falling and running and falling, they get up and tornado kick or, you know, do a single leg takedown. (laughs) uh, Go see the Raid Redemption. (laughs) Because it's got all your martial arts goodness plus the gore kills that us gore hounds like from from the old school horror movies. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. All right. Well, before I close out this news clip uh, item, let me me share with you guys the titles of these movies. You can look them up, and, of course, we'll have... uh, some clips and references to him on the show notes I later. Know, I know I'm excited. Well, you better be. I was wondering why you looked that way. Anyway, <laughs> Dragon Eyes is one of them, which Dude, is Dude, I'm already cool. there. Transit, <laughs> The Philly Kid, 
slash house. I like that Ooh, one as that well. That sounds like it might be a cross. Uh-huh. That's, that's two of five I know I'm going to see. And of course, the one I star in, El Gringo. No, I don't star in any movie. I'm just kidding. But <laughs> I thought I'd just throw that in on the slide. Any you movie you're aware of, anyway. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, was, I was here kind of late last night. Ah, true, true. I don't care what you guys get up to when I'm not around. But I'm around, damn it. So <laughs> Include me. Yeah. Uh uh-uh. no. So Dave, you turned me on to a fellow here in in Atlanta, uh a news story. I guess one of those typical molestation news stories. And I'm not sure if this is the same guy or not that's creeping up on my news uh radar, but uh Is it time here we now are. though for it's yeah, we're back to that. Okay. We're back right. to that. Well, that's been Actually, on my initial search, I didn't find anything, so I said, "Let me dig a little deeper." You know, mm-hmm. we need to we need to get it back and check. Get back oh, it's always check. out there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You just got to feed it. You, yeah. oh, <laughs> you just let that Jesus socket go Christ. dry. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> right. All right. So, young Jim Shim of Atlanta, Georgia, of course, thirty-two years old. Um, Back in, I don't know, a few years ago or whenever this was, he was busted and in jail for, you know, molesting little girls and all this in his classes. He ran a some sort of Korean art school um, out in, in kind of the North Fulton County area. Um, and he's recently been busted again back in Cobb County. He's been in jail without uh, any bond or bail, um, you know, on additional molestation charges and while he's been in there, something else has cropped up from <laughs> the city of Roswell, Georgia, actually. Um, one young lady has come forward uh, and mentioned, uh, you know, all sorts of things, a relationship that happened during 2009, 2010, 14-year-old girl. Um, and now he's, you know, being trumped up on aggravated child molestation, rape, and enticing a child. Jesus. So... You know, at 32, you're younger than me, and you're already back in jail for doing the dirty wrong. Come you know, on, brother. Here's the thing about just why would you give that guy an opportunity to, to do it again? Like yeah, but, the know, guy needs a high to the throat. Is what he needs, man. For, further, like Judy furthermore, though, right? Like, and this is just general advice for all you criminals out there. If you get caught doing the I'm one listening. thing the first time, right? Yeah, it's obvious you're not very good at it. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think. In cases like this there's there's an element of compulsion that goes along with yeah, it. but yeah. that's where there's you need sickness. some i mean like you know a judge can bar somebody who abuses a puppy from ever owning an animal again. yeah absolutely and i think if you abuse your martial arts students i think the judge is Take rightfully your license uh, away for teaching so, or open up another well commercial unfortunately there is no license yeah. but they for those kind of the thing yeah. about it is though is there <laughs> there is a there is a component to that if i'm not badly mistaken where they can bar you from being an in situations publicly. Right, or, if you're a hacker, or, they can yeah, tell you or, you can't touch a computer for so long. And, or right. whatever, and, and they know? can actually bar you as a, as a condition of your parole or whatever from being involved with activities that involve children. Right. I mean, you know, most child molesters, they get caught doing that stuff. They have to tell everybody where they live. They've got all these conditions that violate their civil rights, but they've already abrogated them in the first place. So why you would let this guy just go, you know... Set up Personally, the same one of those, sort of I think trap that, that they need treatment. They're, I think they're, yeah. they're, they're screwed up because, I don't know, it, when you look at a child and you get sexually aroused, something's wrong with you in the first place, in my opinion. That's just my, my opinion. To me, it, it's young innocence, purity. It's, it's you know, the joy of the future and shit like that. I don't know. It, 
Well, yeah. I mean, you know, 14-year-olds or whatever, they're they're creeping up on adulthood, but there's still a social reason we say that's verboten. And, uh, you know, it's... Now. Now there's a social reason. Right. No, if we were in medieval England, they'd be getting married. Then we'd married. get married, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, there, there's a reason that stuff is in place, and uh, and there are laws to back that up. So I really think they should be more aggressive if you... You know, screw that up. Screw up that contract, that teacher-student contract once. Do your time and forget about ever teaching publicly again. Judge Judge Jones has spoken. Whack! There's my (laughs) devil. I'd say let's let's clarify that, too, though, with the children. You know, if you actually, if you're a teacher and you develop a healthy relationship with a female student in your class. Yeah, well, that's different. Or even if you're just a horndog scumbag, which there's plenty of those out there, but they're dealing with other adults. So Exactly. Yeah. No, I'm talking about if you're abusing a child. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Then it's one one strike and you're out. There you go. They can't keep you in prison the rest of your life, but they can sure as hell say, guess what? No more kung fu school for you. That's right. You know what? Why can't they keep you in prison the rest of your life, though? See, that's the thing that gets me about the about the. You know what? Well, there's it's a certain not that kind of podcast, so we don't necessarily right. We have can't to get into legally. I think in a nutshell, it, but... the, the the basic balance there is: you know, you take a life, you're up for the death penalty. If you don't kill someone, then they find it very hard to take your entire life away from you, especially on a first offense. So you know, and basically putting you in prison for life is removing everything in your life but you're breathing and walking around yeah but the rest of the taxpayers got to pay for that and they and that's space and, and, and you that. cost it currently thanks to our idiotic screwed up overcrowded prison system in america that's packed full of you know hippies or whatever yeah, right <laughs> um, hey, thanks man i was in jail once yeah uh you know it costs 30 to in some places 50 or 60 thousand dollars a year per inmate to keep yeah. inmates in there which, Shit. by the way, I mean, if they've given those people $30,000 a year stipends, I bet none of them would be criminals. <laughs> exactly. <you know? laughs> Which, by the way, it doesn't cost anywhere near $30,000 a year not. to keep me alive. So, No. If it did, <laughs> you'd be long dead. And so no, it's I. pretty much just a tube, and we you know, let you see the sunlight on Tuesdays. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we open the box and let some air in. That's right. <laughs> All right. What else you got for us, Craig? I got a finger pointing your way, my friend. Uh-oh. Yeah. What did I do? I don't know, but hopefully you're going to do the media mop-up. Oh. I'm done. Right. <laughs> you know, there there was another story that popped up uh, locally this week, but I think we're going to save that for the next show. I, I thought Craig might have been on that, but we uh, it's actually a very sad story, too. So let's just oh, move okay. along, and maybe we'll bring that one up yeah, next week. Well, let's not bum everybody out anymore. Then, yeah. you know. We already had the molester segment yeah. back on. Okay, we'll move it along. We've got Lester, your media mop up. <laughs> How'd you like that? That's pretty Special. good. Yeah, get your popcorn ready. I, I felt obliged to give you a little something extra because uh, we don't have a trailer for this one that we're going to play because the trailers are all old school, and the only one I could find, you know, it looks good, but all you hear throughout the whole thing, you don't even hear the sound effects of the punches and whatnot. You just hear the song that goes with the movie <laughs> the playing intro, in the background. Yeah. So you know, four, I, you four know months what? of that would have. I can I can kill a cat as good as anybody. So. Uh... No, actually, it's a good song. It's not oh, okay. Beijing <laughs> opera, <laughs> but it's old school. It's 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 like the Wong Fei Hung song, but it's not the Wong Fei Hung song. Yeah. So that's good. It's very yeah. inspirational yeah. type. Yeah. Of- Is it the Fong Sayuk song? Yeah. So instead of us watching a trailer, I'm just going to quickly. There's like a three paragraph review of this movie. On, and you're going to uh, read it. Yeah, on lovehkfilm.com. Cool. 
And I'm just going to read it out here to you because I think it sums up what this movie is all about in general way better than I could. Have you seen this movie? It looks interesting. I've seen this movie many times, and so have you, Craig. We're digging (laughs) back into the classics here, not all the way back to the the 70s Shaw Brothers stuff, but uh, this is, is, uh, I think it was late 80s. 80s. Yep. Uh, No, no. 1993. There you have it. So the movie is called Blade of Fury. So here we go. Samuel Hung directs Blade of Fury, an enjoyable, though somewhat messy, martial arts film mixing political intrigue, questionable performances, and balls-to-the-wall martial arts choreography. Martial arts master Wang Wu, uh, played by Young Fan, was once a captain of the Black Flag Troop, a group of sword-wielding martial artists bent on expelling imperialists from China. After a tragedy leaves him the lone survivor of his troop, Wong goes into self-imposed exile, only to be discovered and brought back to the world by government official Tan Tung played by T. Lung. With the help of Tan, Wong sets up a martial arts school at the capital, and Wong's nationalism comes to the fore when he joins Tan Tung in a plan to get rid of the Empress Dowager in order to restore China to greatness. However, their plan is countered by those who don't seem to mind a little thinning of their nationalistic pride. Betrayal occurs, sides are chosen, and it all goes to hell. <laughs> Fighting erupts, people die, and heroes are born. Uh... Blade of Fury's energetic fight choreography immediately earns it a place among the more enjoyable genre films of the 90s. The action is frequently undercranked and sometimes over the top, but it's exciting stuff that flows fast and furious. The cast is a mixture of fighters trying to act and actors trying to fight, and for the most part, it works, though there are a few debits. Some of the actors aren't very charismatic, and Rosamund Kwan, who is definitely charismatic, Mm. is wasted in a mystifyingly small flower vase role. I, I disagree with that. She's not wasted. Just having her there is worth it to me. Oh, yeah. And it, it's poignant. Still, lead Young Fan shows steely presence. T. Lung brings power and integrity to the pivotal role of Tan Sutong. And Cynthia Khan and Colin Chow uh, turn in fine support. Samuel Hung ha- only has a small cameo as a palace guard, but his quick duel with Young Fan is a highlight of the film. The character of Wang Wu is also the subject of the 1973 Shaw Brothers flick, The Iron Bodyguard, if anybody wants to tag back to that, uh, starring uh, Chen Quan Tai. As in its predecessor, politics and themes of nationalism play a big part, though in Blade of Fury, many of the themes are reduced to droning exposition that could, be, that could induce snoring. <laughs> but when the themes are mixed into the action, er- ergo during the first violent blowout between Wang Wu and Japanese imperialists, the politics make a bigger impact. However, even then, there are too many players and too many ideas to truly register. Rosamund Kwan's underwritten character being one of them, Samuel Hung can't give the plot much energy, but he gets many of the emotions dead on. When certain characters meet their face, the effect can be genuinely stirring. Blade of Fury is far from perfect, as it can't make its main narrative uh, that interesting or even coherent. However, for martial arts junkies who enjoy the fast and dirty Hong Kong action of the 90s and not the over-choreographed ballet battles of the new millennium, Blade of Fury should easily satisfy. You know, ultimately, I think that I, that that's all I watch the the martial arts movies for. Anyway, story's good and all, blah de blah, yada yada yada. But really, I prefer it when they're beating the shit out of each other every few minutes. And look, so. the themes that run through this movie are the same themes that run through ninety yeah. percent of those nationalist pride. And, uh, yeah, yeah I mean, once upon a time in China had a very similar plot. There's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you could name a million of them. So let me let me ask you this: Do you remember Sam Hung being the palace guard? Do you remember him being a guard at the jailhouse? Remember? Well, the jail was at the palace. 
Yeah, well. He got caught after he went into the palace, yeah, right? Yeah, true, true. And he was, uh, yeah. So, yeah, <clears throat> they didn't get it exactly right. Um, but I love this movie. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. So, plot shortcomings aside, and I actually thought the plot was fun. It does cover a lot of ground, but if you're used to watching this kind of movie, the, most of the complaints in that review won't register with you because exactly. you're used to seeing that kind of that kind of thing. There's lots of strong action sequences, great stunt work. Um, I got to tell you, just like a good book or something like that, a good article, you know, they always say, try to catch you within a, a compelling headline right in the first few minutes or something. Well, the first five minutes of this movie is just on point. Oh yeah. They're just on point. Yeah. Yeah. And of course it cools off for a minute, but then, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as those desert Raiders ride into town, it all <laughs> picks up again. Um, but just a few highlights in this film. Uh, Heads do literally roll in this one. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> oh, people are cut clean in half in this thing. Yeah. Uh, and look around with quizzical looks on their face before <laughs> yeah, they, they fall. fall over. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there's, a, there's a scene where, uh, and this is uh, one of the things that happens in these older Hong Kong films. There's a scene where a fellow rides a horse off a cliff. Like 60 feet oh, off yeah, a cliff yeah, yeah. and into a pond. Yeah. And it's a real horse and a real dude. Made me think of, uh, I was, ironically, I, I, I just listened to the uh, newest Caustic Soda last yeah, night, which is about th- horses. Yeah, they were talking about And something. they had uh, diving horses uh, in uh, Atlantic City, apparently, for, huh. for a long, long time. Which Very they cool. didn't really dive, they just that. tipped the ramp up and dumped them <laughs> in the, but with a rider on their back. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, you can look up Caustic Soda for more detail on diving horses, but just the stunts that they That's inspirational do. for what I'm going to do to my cat later. Yeah. Maybe my child. Huh? <laughs> get, the ba- get the bathtub nice and full. And That's right. Watch out. Don't be naked because them cats get scratchy. <laughs> um, right. and, uh, Speaking of high uh, podcast after dark. Ooh, <laughs> scratching the cat. I'm with yeah. you, brother. <laughs> Scan the tiny cat couldn't scratch it. Uh, <laughs> uh, other high points, aside from that last remark. Um, Evidently the, the uh, when uh, Oh, what's they don't even mention me. Let me see if I can find... Uh, Maybe maybe is uh, Colin Chow, whoever plays the the friend of theirs that winds up turning against him at the end, right, right, um, right. And he's a big part of the final battle. He does this drunken in a moment of just emotion. Does this drunken yeah. uh, straight sword for him that is just whip the ass bad, man. Mm-hmm. I'm like, damn, this guy is good. <laughs> um, some of just the form works, not even the fighting, like at the yeah. very beginning of the film and the you know, that, oh, that throwback I you were talking love to. That. You know, love it's that like you know, they mix in some wire work and some unrealistic stuff, but the actual parts where he's doing this Dadao form are really good. Yeah. You might want to explain what this weapon is, this blade of fury and what a Dadao is for our non Chinese speaking. Uh, literally translated is big knife. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so it's one of those big executioner looking, it's short but broad. It's uh, like a Big old butcher's knife turned into a kung fu weapon or yeah, something. Yeah, with a two-handed grip on it. And there's some nice ones in here, some nice use of that thing. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the final fight scene. Uh, and not just the fight scenes, but like, uh, you know, spoiler alert, when uh, one, of the, uh, one of the main characters is executed. Uh-huh. It really gets you. Yeah, it does. They play it up really well. So what the reviewer in there said about tagging the emotions right if not getting the story completely coherent. oh they they yeah they hit you in the heartstrings there at that one point yeah, yeah. so uh and and the, the final scene of the movie is another one of those with little bro standing on top of the building you know <laughs> yeah it's uh 
So, you know, we, we had to dig into the, into the stacks for this one, but uh, there's a lot of stuff from that period that we'll probably talk about eventually oh, on the show. And this one's always had a, had a sort of a, I've had a sort of a soft spot for this one. Mm-hmm. Love this movie. So get out there and check out Blade of Fury, directed by Samo Hung Cambo. Is well this, worth your time. Is this one that's available via our um, not sponsor? Uh, you know what? It that is we, that we don't mention. The it is not. It's, it's, is it not? It's, it's not on Netflix. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but you can watch it at your leisure. I just checked today, and it's all available on YouTube. The whole hey, thing. I like broken it. down into little. All right. Well, I'll find it chunks. for you guys and put it up on the uh, show notes. Maybe. Oh yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. That's just cool. that's just like fourth party illegal at that point. All right, yeah. And yeah. for all we know, I mean, a lot of these movies, you know, the, when these were popular in the in the late nineties in America, mm. those were not legitimate copies people were putting up. Yeah, in the true. They, they, you they would were, see the little heads getting up in the bottom of the screen. Well, often it wasn't that people would just buy the laser disc oh. and copy it, just start duping videotapes off of it. Right. Which I was thankful for because that way you always got letterboxed, you know, decent quality. Well, and that way we could actually just see it. I mean, yeah. before, you know, all this crap with the internet so popular, there was no way for, you know... Right. Little kid in some redneck town to be able to have access to see these yeah. things, really. So basically, like yeah, you're pretty safe That's being able to find this on YouTube for quite a while because <laughs> these movies are so used to being ripped off. <laughs> yeah, true. They, nothing phases them anymore. True indeed. I can remember those days, man. Me, you, and Scotto used to watch this movie over and over, actually, yeah. for a while. That was quite a movie. No, I was on this movie for a bit. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, um... That's it for your media mop-up. Media mop-up. Ring it out and dump the bucket. (laughs) (laughs) And that kind of brings us towards the the, uh, end of the show here. I believe it might. Yeah, we're at the end of the show. We've had a wonderful time, you know. We've got a lot of good stuff coming up for you guys in the future. Um, uh, We're going to have some bonus content, but... uh, you know, we'll leave that yes, for itself. Uh, and, It'll be a surprise. Uh, yeah, we got some, some ice cream stuff. for the good boys and girls. Yeah. A different <clears throat> show, but never mind. And we're also, <laughs> we're endeavoring, and I'm looking at you two. I'm looking at you two. Yeah, I'm looking at you two. We're endeavoring to get our release schedule synced back up with our recording schedule. So hopefully within the next month or so, we'll get everything around. And you may get a push of content in the meantime. But we'll get everything worked around to where we record, and by the next week, you have it in your hot little ears. Yeah, yeah. that's right. That's so uh, it was it was unforeseen circumstances and events beyond our control, mostly that landed us in this position. Yeah, yeah. but uh, we're we're going to try to make right because it's a lot easier to talk to the listeners, and it's a lot easier probably for you to talk back to us if there's a little bit of a quicker turnaround on <laughs> if it's not makes like, information relevant. This, yeah. <laughs> Did I say that? Oh, hell, I don't remember. Um, so uh, so be looking for that. Uh, always striving to, uh, to serve. That's right. And uh, big episode 10 coming up. Maybe some special surprises there. Woo! Woo! We're, 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 we're getting traction, baby. Um, anything high else you guys want to say? High out podcast after dark. <laughs> That's going to be a different podcast. Yes, that would be explicit. I think Jay's going to make a video podcast. Working on it. Oh, dear. Yeah. yeah. Don't All start right. now. They don't call him magnificent for nothing, folks. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Jay. Uh, anything Dave. else? 
What else? that I can think of. Uh, of course, you can always check out our website. It's hiyapodcast.com. It's H-I-Y-A-A podcast. Two A's in dot the com. And, um, you know, from there you can download the web, you can download the show now from the website. Yeah. You can, uh, listen to us streaming on the website. Uh, mm-hmm. you can sign up for any of the number of the RSS, uh, podcatchers, uh, podcatchers and stuff through there. Like us on Facebook, Google plus. Oh, yeah. um, we're Zoom enabled now. Yeah, we're Zoom yeah. enabled yeah. now as well. You know, and of course you can check out our extensive show notes as well. Oh yeah. yeah. And, um, you can like us on Facebook, obviously, but you can visit us at, Facebook.com slash Hiya. Martial Arts Podcast. That's the place. You have to be thinking of that exact in your head while you're typing. (laughs) That's right. You got to be typing it in. Hiya. (laughs) Hey, guys. I almost feel like I'm pushing to make this run long because we're getting more efficient or something. (laughs) I'm going to clock in at a reasonable length. Oh, well, let's. And email us, too, at mailbag at at hiyapodcast.com. That's right. Or comment on the website or the Facebook page. We look at all of that. It's not like we're so inundated with uh, communication. And by the way, the mailbag will be back next week. We've got some good stuff in store for you on that. That's right. We've had a few more uh, mail bags. Bags. Baggers. (laughs) We need some female baggers too. So, ladies, if you're listening to this uh, and and think we're excluding you, we don't mean to. Huh? We're all for the ladies. Yep. So, bring on your opinions and comments too, um, and suggestions. Anybody has, has a suggestion for someone interesting they think might be willing to come on and talk yeah, to I us in our interview it. section? Uh, we need to get some ladies on here. It's it's time. That's a very good point, actually. That's I'm a, a very good. Point. I'm gonna call me Cynthia Rothrock. All right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm serious. I'm calling her. I love her. But <laughs> I don't like her movies, really, but I like her. Also, too, if you've got suggestions for like discussion topics or anything like that, I mean, feel free to yep. just shoot them our way. Definitely, definitely. Throw we got an ongoing list, but you guys make the show. And we will, we will duly consider it. Tom Dooley. All right. Well, we got to go now, folks. Uh, Champagne Lounge is calling, and uh, <laughs> we're going to slide uh, down the uh, stripper pole into the basement and take care of that right now. That's right. But before we go, we'd like to say a healthy. Hi. See ya! You got me with the see ya, man. Oh, no, we're screwed. Hiya! Yourself and then accelerates. Sure, you'll get there soon.